so glad you could join us for mornings at YCVC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. As I was asked to do this, um, I, there was a couple of things on my heart and, and where we kind of ended up settling and that there'll be some images behind us was, was the idea as church, as a, as a monument, but also as church, as a, as a movement. And as I was preparing, I, I remember when I was about, say, 15 or so, we went on a seven-day hike with a bunch of bushwalkers. So my, my dad was a very passionate bushwalker, which is why at 15 I was on a seven-day hike. Um, but we walked from Adaminibi to Threadbow, whether you know where that is or not. Um, beautiful country, amazing views, incredible experience. So every day we'd get up, we'd have a hot chocolate because, you know, you've got to con your kids somehow to take them on a seven-day hike. Uh, we'd pack up our tents and gear and head off to the next campsite. So it was an incredible experience. I wouldn't have said that to you at the time, but it was an incredible experience. It's full of views that are just out of this world. But at the same time, I can't possibly overstate how tiring the setup and the pack down of a campsite each morning and each evening was. So when we finished the walk, there was just pure ecstasy of being able to sleep in our own beds, in our own house. It was truly indescribable. And I think we all experience this in different ways in different times. There's a desire to have arrived. When we've been on a long journey, we have a desire to just be where we're going to arrive home to our destination or something you might have heard once or twice in the last couple of years, to a new normal. And that trip for us was only seven days. Now, when Ken was reading for us, a lot of us would know that the Israelites spent 40 years living on the move out of tents. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that I'd be too excited about a 40-year camping trip. Because has anybody here been camping with kids? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, either yours, someone else's, just kids at the campsite. Um, because in the book of Numbers, it further states that the number of Israelite males on that, during that period, aged 20 years and older in the desert, was 603,550. So that's the men. And that included 22,273 firstborns. And so modern estimates would suggest that that puts those whole numbers at about two and a half to three million people. Right? We were walking with like 12, and it's hard enough to keep them going. But surprisingly, we're not here to talk about camping today. We're here to talk about the difference between a monument and a movement. Seems like a relatively easy distinction, yeah? So, there we go. This is what we might consider a monument. Or this. And this is what a lot of us would think of when we talk about movements. This too. But what about this? Like, is it a monument? Is it a movement? Is it, is it either? No, no, you're probably sitting there and you're just going, well, Carl, that's obviously a tent. Absolutely. You are 100% right. But what does the tent represent? And so on a larger scale, it probably would have looked a little more like that. And that... Sorry? How do I know the pictures? Because I can see it at the back. Yeah. See? 
I, I just have eyes in the back of my head. Shh, don't tell my kids it's not true. Um, but I do want to ask you what the tent represents. So is it, a, is it a monument to the goodness and provision and love of a holy God? Or is it the centre of a movement? Is it a symbol of a singular overarching purpose and a focal point for the forwards march and the development of a people into God's plans for them? And the answer is, well, yes and yes. Because what if one of the main differences between a monument and a movement isn't what it is, but how it's used? I was reading a book a little while ago, and there was a suggestion that the word monument originates from an Albanian word, which I'm going to butcher in my pronunciation, I'm 100% sure of it, called monument, which means remember, suggesting that a movement allows us to see the past. And therein helping us visualise what's to come in our future. And that thought's echoed quite a lot in scriptures, if I can. And so, such as in Isaiah 19, verses 19 to 20, it says this, it says, In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt, and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a saviour and defender and he will rescue them. Or in Isaiah 55, verses 12 to 13, it says this, For you will go out in joy and come back with peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees in the fields will clap their hands. Instead of thorn bushes, pine trees will grow. And instead of briars, myrtles will grow. And there will be a sign or monument for the Lord and an everlasting name that will not be cut off. So if monuments are designed to help us remember, to meditate on that which has occurred in the past and equip us into our future, how can we both identify the monuments in our lives and work towards seeing movement spring from them? How can we be more movement than monument. And so I want to propose some ideas that help us to understand more about our relationships with monuments and movements, such as why monuments don't always have to be stationary, how the church is called to be both, both a monument and a movement, and how we, the people of the church, as the church, can avoid becoming more a monument than a movement. Because monuments don't move, do they? I haven't yet seen someone move the Eiffel Tower or the Opera House. I mean, I might have missed it, but I'd assume I'd probably pick up on it. So a writer and philosopher, George Santayana, wrote this. And he goes, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Now, that quote's also credited to Winston Churchill much more often in this way. Those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So what does that mean in regards to how we view and respond to the monuments in our lives? And also how we create and progress the movements we're passionate about or called to. Because as we live our lives, we create monuments. They may be memories, experiences, they could even be physical reminders of pivotal moments in our life 
that change our intended direction. So often we create monuments to allow us to remember things that have shaped our lives, changed our paths. They may be statues, ornate buildings, even entire cities can be monuments to things. But why a tent? How can a tent be a monument? Like, don't monuments need to be you know, large and lavish and gilded structures? In short, no. Because Genesis 28 tells us this, when Jacob got up early the next morning, he took the stone that he had used for his pillow, set it up as a pillar, drenched it with oil, and named the place Bethel. That's a monument. And that was a rock that Jacob had slept on the night before. So why was the tabernacle a monument? I'd like to suggest that it's because its existence wasn't only a testimony to God's goodness. It was that, but it was also designed to help Israel's focus remain on God. Because the tabernacle, so according to, according to scholars, and there's a lot of information out there, so this is what I've found, but according to scholars, the tabernacle was, give or take, 50 by 25 metres and would have conservatively weighed somewhere up to around eight tonnes. That's a big tent, yeah? So next time you think it's hard packing up the tent when you're camping, keep those poor folks in mind. Admittedly, sometimes God, and therefore the tabernacle, would stay in a place for a year. However, the Bible tells us that sometimes the presence of God moved the next day. But that brings me to a really important point, I think. Even at that size and that weight, the tabernacle was still meant to be portable. It was more, it was more movement than monument. It was designed to be able to follow the presence of God. So the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of cloud and fire by night. It wasn't only designed to be moved, but more specifically, it was designed to be moved to and centered on the presence of God. Oh, thank you, buddy. That's beautiful. So when God moved... The tabernacle and millions of Israelites moved as well. And I would suggest it probably wasn't a simple process. Because I still remember, so I was a scout when I was younger, and some of you may have been scouts too, um, or cubs, or any number of those variations. And every time we went camping, we all took individual tents. As you do, you've got to have somewhere to sleep. But we also took a huge canvas marquee, giant timber poles, extraordinarily heavy and it took forever to put up forever not to mention to take down and that wasn't even a quarter of the size of the tabernacle but why am I talking about a two and a half thousand year old tent we don't put a tent up as a worship space anymore well not in Yass at the moment and isn't the church Today, isn't that our tabernacle? Or is the tabernacle of the Old Testament represented differently in our lives and in the world today? 
1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 16, and Ken read this for us before, but I'm just going to read it again. It says this, we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. So the tabernacle still does exist today. But not as a tent. Not even as a building. But in each and every one of us. And through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we are that tabernacle. We're the testimony of God's goodness in this world. We are the light that shines through the darkness to show the love of God to those who are around us. Which means, and I really want you to take note of this, that our lives, much as the tabernacle was, must not only be built around the Lord, but must be ready to move when he moves. So I want to repeat that for you. Our lives, much as the tabernacle was, must not only be built around the Lord, but must be ready to move when he moves. So what then is the difference between a monument and a movement? Because there definitely is is a place for the church as a building, as an organisation in the movement of God today. It can provide stability, security, and a physical and recognisable presence in our community. And that's a really good thing. But we use the term church in two distinct ways today. One is to define the organisation of the church, the bricks and mortar, the bills and employees. As well as defining the church as those people who are God's and working out his purposes in their lives. So... You. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, as we read before, says this. I'm going to come back to this. It says, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And verse 16 of exactly the same chapter says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? You are the tabernacle and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Could it be that church as a noun becomes a monument, whereas church as a verb becomes a movement? And what's the difference? I'll pop this up here because this is, this is where I kind of want to, I want to stop for a moment and just kind of go, monuments require ongoing, active considered, intentional, and practical participation. 
Whereas, sorry, movement require that. I should probably just clarify that. Whereas the monuments tend only to require intermittent, passive, repetitive, and business-like service. I just want to repeat that. I just want you to take that in. Movements require ongoing, active, considered, intentional, and practical participation. Whereas monuments tend only to require intermittent, passive, repetitive, and business-like service. But monuments in our life can be much more than our attitude to church. So what are the monuments in your life? Those things that we place on a pedestal, we centre our lives around. Is it having a great or even the right job? Is it a traumatic experience from your childhood that has influences in all of your relationships and experiences? Is it the way the church is set up or not set up? Is it financial stability? Is it just having things? There's nothing inherently wrong with the church building or with most of these monuments we've just discussed. Now, a lot of these things stand in a similar way to the stone altars that were built and consecrated by the faithful to remember and record God's handiwork and blessing. Or that have been built in the past to remember painful events that have changed the world, such as the World Trade Center Memorial. But the church as we are the church must also stand as a movement. Because this building, as incredible as it is, can't change its shape by itself. It can't adjust what it offers to meet the needs of those around it. It can't be the hands and feet of Jesus. It can't proclaim the good news. It can't love the least of these. We can use it for those things, absolutely. But it's a tool that can be used to show our community the love of God. Because the church as a building is more monument than movement. But the exciting news is that we are the church. You, you, you. I, I could point to all of you out if I really wanted to, but with you guys definitely. Right? And me. And you, if you're at home, we are all the church. And as the body, we're blessed with different gifts, different talents, and an incredible ability to adapt and change to address the needs that surround us. We're already a movement. We're a movement of the Spirit of God in this place. You know, it's easier to say if, oh, look, you know, if we were bigger then, or, you know, if we had more resources. But I want to share with you a quote from Margaret Mead. It says this, it says, Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, that's our calling. Or as Jesus puts it in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. 
Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. But look, here's the thing about movements. They have to keep moving. And we live in a culture where comfort is king. We like to be comfortable. I definitely like to be comfortable. And so in that culture, being part of a movement's a really difficult choice. Because movements very rarely sit in a space of comfort and ease. To those who are part of the movements, they often come hand in hand with criticism, derision, even condemnation. But Jesus himself said in Luke 10.3, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. We need to go because Jesus is sending us. We are called to be more movement than monument. Because monuments will crumble. But movements will remain. Again, monuments will crumble. But movements will remain. They may change. They may reinvent in the passion. But the passion for change and growth that underpins a movement doesn't live in a physical space. It's not in the walls of this building. It's not in the cross that's on the wall. It's in the heart of the people that are a part of the movement. And there'll always be time to build monuments. They hold a really special place in our lives. They remind us of our past and direct us towards making the future better. And so I want to ask, are you moving? Or maybe have you, have you been still so long that you've just become a part of the monument? Are you just sitting in a place of longing to arrive? Because, you know, why not stay safe at the monument? It'd be easier, right? We know how the things work there. What it looks like in the context of our life, what it requires of us, and even more importantly to most of us, what we can get away with not doing. But I want you to ask yourself, has church become more of a monument for you than a movement? Is the church just a place of comfort rather than a place of blessing? And as you ask yourself that question, it's a good time to think about how you felt internally about the change in the room today, about the change in the, the way that the room was set up. Maybe you were that person who just went, oh, finally, I've been waiting for years for you to do this. Maybe you thought that you'd arrived. Maybe you were deeply uncomfortable with this change. You know, we don't know if this change will, will stay or be changed again, but it's not really about the chairs, is it? Because we need to ask ourselves, is it more about coffee or Christ? Is it more about heating or hope? Is it more about maintenance or the mission? 
more about form or purpose. Because this is a training ground. It's a place to know Christ so that we can make him known. So this day, Sunday, is only the start. Like, is church just a checkbox in your week? When you get to Sunday lunchtime, you're like, done that one. Or is it the equipping ground for your week? Is the church to you more monument than movement? Because sometimes we become so comfortable at the monument that it's easy to forget that we've been called to keep moving. Because it's scary to step out of the comfort zone. It's scary to step out of comfort of that which you know and understand. This quote, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, is often quoted to Albert Einstein. Now, as an aside, it's not a quote from Albert Einstein. It actually came from Rita Mae Brown from a 1983 book titled Sudden Death. Not from Einstein at all. But the point still stands. Monuments will produce results. Oh, sorry. Yeah, monuments will produce results. They will produce outcomes. Things will happen. Some will be positive. Some will be negative. But they are known and most of the times proven. And that's comfortable. But I want to read you a, a story from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 16 to 26. And it says this, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God... All things are possible. Yeah, he ticked all the boxes. He was living a life that to anybody else would be seen to be pleasing to God. He, quote unquote, had it all. His life was a beautiful monument to the goodness of God. But Jesus wasn't calling him to be a monument. He was calling him to join a kingdom movement. Jesus called him to become more movement than monument. And so I just want to share this with you. There's a quote I love 
And I've, I've shared it with you before from a movie called We Bought a Zoo, and it does say this. It says, you know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, something great will come of it. But the reason I love that quote is that it reminds me not just that it's important to step out sometimes, but that it's not easy to do so. And so what defines the difference between a monument and a movement? Most often, intent. This quote, there is a difference between bravery and stupidity, which is the purpose behind the action, is both very powerful and incredibly difficult for me to take on board. But is that you? Because it... I wish, buddy. I wish. Um, so... <laughs> I'll take it. Um, but mainly the reason why it's difficult to take on board is because it makes, it, makes us question our intent. What is the intent behind the action? Like, do we just show up on Sundays when we have to? When there's nothing else on or when we're rostered on? Are we a monument or a movement? Do we notice our neighbours, their needs or, or the needs in our community? And how do we respond to those needs? Because the question is, are we a monument or are we a movement? Do we live like Jesus is just there for us? Or are we sold out for him? Because again, the question is, are we a monument or a movement? Because being a movement isn't just about being an overseas missionary. And that is a fantastic calling. And if you feel God's calling you in that direction, we very much encourage you in that and would love to chat to you about that. But it's not about being a missionary. It's about being missional. Because as we create and join with others in creating and growing a kingdom movement, we will most assuredly face hurdles. James 1, 2-4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We all get worried about not doing things perfectly. You should have seen me while preparing this message. But we're not alone. Paul writes in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I guess, you know, we get to the end of some of these messages and the question is, so what? That's great. It's all great information. What do I do with that? Because it's easy to talk about moving on from the monuments in our lives. But it's much harder to actually make the move. I want to give you a couple of ideas. Next time you have a coffee with someone, think about your intent. Are you having a coffee because you really need the caffeine? Or are you having a coffee and catching up with that person with the intent to bless them? I want you to consider whether Sunday worship gatherings need to take on a more prominent role in your week. Whether this needs to be a priority for you. I want to encourage you to think of others and make time 
And you notice I didn't say find time. I want you to make time to serve them in ways that may not be easy for you, but are blessings for them. And I also want to encourage you to remember the monuments that are making it hard for you to move. We all have them. And I want you to share them with someone that you love and trust. Because we have to be accountable in those moments where the monument makes it hard to move. You need someone in your corner. and You've already got Jesus there, but it's also beneficial to have someone that you might be able to see in front of you and catch up for a coffee with. So again, I want to ask you, in this moment, this moment right now, are you more monument? Or are you more movement? And if you find yourself more of a monument right now than a movement, I want to encourage you that there's no time, like right now. And I don't mean, oh, you know, give it a couple of hours, have a cup of coffee. Right this second to break off those chains and renew your walk with Jesus. Because you're here. He's here. Get into it. And if you've never made that choice, I really want you to pray with me right now. We're just going to pray a simple prayer. And I'd just like you to close your eyes. And if you're comfortable, I'd like you to repeat that after me. Father God, I find myself becoming more of a monument than the movement that you've called me to be. And I want to invite you to come back into my life. I want to invite you to take over that monument and relegate it to the right space. I want to be a movement for you. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Amen. And so, just quickly, as I, well, as I finish up, um, I'd really love to share a song with you, because I was... A song. A song, yeah. Um, and I just want to encourage you to sit. So, so we're, not, we're not going to worship. We'll, we'll jump back up in a bit. But as you sit in the presence of a loving God... I want to encourage you to just dwell in the knowledge that the battles you're fighting with those monuments in your life are battles that Jesus has already won. And even if you don't know how you'll get through them, you can rest in the knowledge of the victories of God that have already occurred and know that he will be victorious. So I just want to encourage you to close your eyes and just to bask in the glory and majesty and the love of our good God.
peace that outlasts darkness. Hope that's in the blood. There's future grace that's mine today that Jesus Christ has won. So I can face tomorrow. Tomorrow's in your hands. All I need, you will provide, just like you always have. Cause I'm fighting a battle, and you've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. I'm fighting a battle you've already won.
So just before we finish, I really want um, I want to share a secret with you. You know, it's actually always more exciting and fun to be a part of a movement than to visit a monument. So what are you waiting for? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. For the move, for the monuments, but more so for the calling to be a movement of your spirit and your love in this community. We want to ask that you show us those areas of our lives where we've settled into the monument and ignored your calls to keep moving and growing and following you. As we head into this week, may we move in such a way that all those around us experience your goodness and love through us as your hands and your feet. Thank you for an amazing chance to be more movement than monument. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in his word, stay in his love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.